from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the Friday night edition of the program. It's Veterans Day. A big thanks to all of the veterans out there. And I want to give you the phone number. If you want to join the program tonight, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, uh, it is Veterans Day. We, we honor those that are with us and alive and well and have served. Uh, we remember those that have served and given their life and uh, those that are currently in service that will be veterans one day. Uh, I salute them all. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a tall order, I think, to serve in this country. And you never know if you're going to have to be in battle or what, but you do it, right? And you do it selflessly. And it's always important, I believe, to see a veteran and thank them for their service. And one veteran that comes to mind when I'm thinking of thanking someone for their service is a veteran named James Everett Bohannon, my predecessor, the, the, the legend himself. And uh, Jimbo, a couple of years back in 2019, gave uh, his opinion on what he thought when people said, thank you for your service. Listen to this. As a veteran, I am very grateful I spent a, a lot of time since my time in service in the Vietnam era where I didn't hear that. And to hear it now, it's never too late. And I like the words. Thank you for your service. That's sufficient for me. And I think it should be sufficient for everybody to do it, right? Suffice it to say, we should be thanking veterans when we see them, uh, those in, in, in uniform when we see them, because of the sacrifice that they give. And I think it is a sacrifice. Um, my brother... Robert Valdez served in the United States Marine Corps. And I found out earlier today that uh, he passed away last night. And it makes this Veterans Day a little bit solemn. So I'm dedicating this program to him tonight and to all veterans out there. And it's important. You know, whether you get a little scar or you get a scrape on your knee or you lose a limb or you give your life, to me, the sacrifice is the same. It's one that you made selflessly. And, uh, Jimbo also, back in 2019, talked about a minor injury that he received while he was serving in Vietnam. Listen to this. Uh, as far as I know, I never suffered PTSD or any other uh, mental affliction from that uh, conflict. It certainly wasn't uh, a fun time in my life, and there were times of uh, considerable danger, but uh, again, that goes with the territory. I got out. I got out fine, as far as I know. Uh, physically, I've got uh, one little tiny scar, which, uh, frankly, I got uh, diving for cover to save my butt. It's not exactly what you would call <laughs> a, a heroic wound. So uh, needless to say, I didn't uh, put in for a purple heart for that. Uh, diving for, for cover and scratching yourself on a piece of barbed wire during a mortar attack hardly seems like the basis for, uh, for a medal. Jimbo had a, a real way with words. And I know so many of us uh, miss hearing his voice. 
And uh, granted, uh, you, you don't get a Purple Heart for, for a, little, uh, a little scrape or a scar. Um, but it was that selfless attitude that he had of, of service before self. And I think so many veterans embody as well. And, and to me, that's, that's the, the honor of it, right? That's the, the beauty of it. And that's why, uh, I want to take time tonight to uh, reflect on veterans, hear your veterans stories and, uh, have a couple of veterans on themselves, uh, to talk about different things, uh, including veterans day. So we're going to do all of that this evening. And, I know that this is a difficult time for, for a lot of people because, you know, like me and like others, they, they've lost loved ones. And when you lose a loved one, it's, it's, never, it's never fun. But there's a lot of people out there that have veterans that are alive and well or alive and not so well. And on a day like today, it's important that we remember them and we remember that sacrifice. And uh, for those of us that are able and have been blessed with uh, the ability to help others, we should. And looking at the, the courage, looking at the commitment that veterans have, it, it always strikes me that we need to kind of embody that. While we may not be soldiers in, uh, in any of the branches of the military, we're citizens of the United States. We're we the people. And we have to hold on to, to that kind of zeal, if you will, in order to to do what we have to do in life. There's challenges that are afoot, political challenges, social challenges, cultural challenges. And it's up to us to, to like Gandhi said, right? Be the change that you want to see in the world. And so many of us look at, you know, our adversaries politically, right? Or culturally, uh, if we don't like the shift in culture. And we think to ourselves, how do we get here? How do we get to this place where we are today where things seem so bizarre? If you were to juxtapose headlines today with headlines, you know, a decade or two ago, how did we get to this place? And the way we've gotten to this place is that people that believe in certain things, whether it's the people that believe that Israel should not exist, they took action. I don't condone that action. I think they're psychos, but they took action whether it's people that believe that they should become prosecutors and then not prosecute criminals and allow these criminals to be a revolving, uh, to go through a revolving door of the police department and never, ever give them charges that stick. Whether it's uh, people in, in politics, people in other branches of law enforcement, they've, they've made a goal for themselves. They became lawyers to change the FBI, to change the courts, to change the DA's office. They've become members of the media to influence our news. They've become professors and teachers to shape young minds, to teach them about Marxism and and why socialism is great and why it's okay to hate America because we're uh, uh, colonialists and we are, um, what's the word that they like to use? Uh, uh, No, not colonizers. There's another word, uh, imperialists. That's the other word that the communists love. Right. And, but, but they made it their business to do these things. Right. You don't become a Castro or a Hugo Chavez or uh, or um, President Xi in China. You don't become one of these people without a plan, without the real desire to get to that place. So I think it's important that we, we focus on that and we look at this and we realize that it's we the people that must be the change that we want to see. 
If we don't make the change, if we don't become the lawyers, if we don't become the media, if we don't become the soldiers, if we don't become the district attorney, if we don't become the FBI and take back the institutions that belong to us, we the people, they'll be forever taken away from us. So I say today, look at the encouragement and the example set forth by the courageous veterans that are out there. And I want to leave you with a word from the Gipper, Ronaldus Magnus, as El Rushbo called him, uh, making a Veterans Day speech and one that I think you'll enjoy. Listen to this. Those who live today remember those who do not. Those who know freedom remember today those who gave up life for freedom. Today, in honor of the dead, we conduct ceremonies. We lay wreaths, we speak words of tribute, and in our memories, in our hearts, we hold them close to us still. Throughout America today, we honor the dead of our wars. We recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. A grateful nation opens her heart today in gratitude for their sacrifice, for their courage, and for their noble service. Amen to that, Mr. President. Folks, it's Veterans Day. We're going to continue moving forward, and we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, he's also fighting for the freedom of, of uh, people in Taiwan. Uh, President Xi, Susan, is watching this closely. I, this isn't like some talking point. Uh, it's, it's not some theory. It's the reality. China is watching to see if Putin can get away with invading a sovereign country and, and the United States gets bored and lets Putin have his way with Ukraine. That is a green light to Xi to go straight into Taiwan. And, you know, said that at the beginning of the war and people pushed back on it. Let me just say those people are living in an alternative reality. China's watching. She is watching. Iran is watching. The world is watching. Are we going to have the courage to defend our allies or not? That's Joe Scarborough making sense for once in his life. And you know who else is watching? Hamas is watching. Iran is watching. And that's why they're doing what they're doing. That's why you've got 30 some odd uh, members of the United States military with traumatic brain injuries. And we've been attacked 56 uh, 56 uh, military members um, injured by traumatic brain injury. And you also have, uh, I don't know, something like 40 attacks that have gone on in, in recent weeks. And in my opinion, we're under attack. We're literally under attack. And Joe Biden is nowhere on this. He's allowing Hamas to do what they want to do. He's allowing Putin to do what they want to do. Um, she, go for it, right? Free for all. And I want to get to the bottom of this with uh, a veteran himself, a veteran of the United States Air Force, Brigadier General Blaine Holt, the irascible disruptor, Newsmax contributor, friend of the program. Blaine Holt, we honor you this Veterans Day. Welcome, sir. 
Happy Veterans Day. So good to be with you on this Veterans Day. And uh, yes, troubled times, but it sure is good to be returning to your show. Well, amen. Thanks for being here, brother. And I want to uh, really uh, take this apart a little bit, right? Because Scarborough is saying everybody's watching. I feel like Hamas is watching. And uh, I feel like it's the same conversation every time. We're getting more and more casualties, more injuries. And it seems like the only guy in the world right now that makes sense is is Netanyahu, who's saying, no, we're not doing a ceasefire until we get the hostages. And and yet there's a, a constant pounding on him from the left within the media, the left within Congress, uh, even the White House, you know, is coming down. I heard Blinken today say that, you know, too many Palestinians are being killed. Now, again, I don't want to be um, harsh or cruel. I'm not saying that, you know, no number of Palestinians is kill as many as you want. That's not what I'm saying. But I I am saying there's an all out war going on. We're being attacked by Iran and Iran proxies um, on a regular basis uh, externally, whether it's in Iraq or in the surrounding areas. And I feel like nothing's really happening. Biden sends a a drone attack, a little rocket to some what he thinks is a munitions warehouse or whatnot. Uh, What's going on here, Blaine Holt? Yeah, so. it's very interesting to me to hear Jeff Scarborough actually start to get concerned about the national security of the United States. Uh, it would have been nice if uh, when we watched Afghanistan just be bludgeoned in terms of, of its policy and the weakness projected that started the dominoes on all of these things. If he had been one of the clarions out there to say, um, this is going to imperil us further. Um, this is what happened. So, so the domino fell in Afghanistan and encouraged a guy named Putin to go into deeply into Ukraine, a war that is with no strategy involved, has required a ton of our money, killed over half a million people minimum and uh, and not gotten to a conclusion and it wages today and, and and everybody calls for more money but no strategy yet and now here we are in the Middle East um, a, another outcome of this weakness uh, and this this one has the chance to go from not just one country in Israel our ally that we're we're undermining publicly um, but but to regional and to global if we continue to project this, indifference to our own security and that we don't face up to the fact that the the bullies that we've been appeasing are actually coming for us and yet we refuse to defend ourselves. And yet, with all of that said, our number one security issue doesn't sit in Taiwan with Xi Jinping. Our number one security issue is right here at home with uh, over 8 million fighting age men that we have simply let come across the border and and they do not wish us well. Uh, We're in trouble. So, Blaine Holt, let's uh, war game this for three or four minutes because I, um, it, it seems to be getting more grave as, as the time goes on. What does that look like? Do, do you think these people become like sleeper cell type of things where they strap bombs to themselves, they actually arm themselves? And, and uh, how do you see the enemy using these men that are here, uh, the, you know, the men from China, the men from Northern Africa, uh, all, all these men that are in our country that, you know, they're here. How do you see yeah, that materializing? It's a couple of ways that this can go down. My my good friend, Michael Yawn, is down in, in the Darien Gap near Panama and, and doing incredible work yeah. logging uh, PLA members that are coming across, Hamas members, Hezbollah, uh, the, the turmoil that is now Panama and Costa Rica 
the the instability that is now spreading. Um, you you could make a couple of really cogent arguments that um, as we have taken on all of these people, and I'm sitting in New York City tonight, looking across to the Roosevelt Hotel where there's fighting age men living in that hotel. What Rich, what happens if we take away their universal basic income and all the benefits and the life sustainment things for them and their credit cards? Uh, what, what if we took all that away? What what do they do next? Well, I can tell you that that it won't won't be a pretty picture. But but what I'm more worried about is the sleeper cell piece that you're talking about. Um, right. If we start to see the Middle East click along and grow and spiral, uh, does Iran, fearing for its own um, uh, security, start instead of creating havoc by having Hezbollah fire on our fifth fleet, do they first activate cells here? Uh, in conjunction with the Chinese, Hamas, Hezbollah, do they have specific orders here that go after our our grid? Or do we face a butcheristic, barbaric, uh, barbaric attack like uh, we saw on October 7th? Um, our grid, our cyber, our uh, an EMP, a dirty bomb. We, we just don't know. But this is the spectrum of things that we face right here on our own soil. And yet, that we're watching our forces gather in the Eastern Mediterranean. I'm very concerned we're not protecting our own nation. Absolutely horrible. And just to circle back to um, something you just mentioned, you said, what happens when we take away their universal basic income and the other services we're offering them? Uh, I'll go to the wisdom of a rapper named YG. And he says, if I ever go broke, I'm going to take your money. And that's what's going to happen. They're going to come after us. Right. If you can't once you uh, can't appease people anymore, they um, they're going to get violent. And we saw it happen at the Roosevelt Hotel. I know exactly what you're talking about. They tried to move them and it became bedlam when they tried to do it. So I agree that we're in a tough spot. I want to continue this conversation with you uh, as we uh, discuss Veterans Day and everything that's happening in the world. uh, General Blaine Holt. I also want to get a little bit more analysis from you on why we're not retaliating to all of these uh, attacks that are happening on uh, military installations where there are U.S. troops. And maybe it's my own naivete that maybe this happens on a regular basis, but it seems that it's happening way more frequently than I've ever seen. And uh, I feel like we're literally under attack. We're in a war. It's undeclared, and Biden's not defending us. So, folks, we're coming right back with General Blaine Holt. It's Veterans Day. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. And we're going to get to your calls as well in a little bit. Don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. America, it's Veterans Day, and we've got a veteran on the line with us. His name, 
Retired Brigadier General Blaine Holt. You know him from Newsmax. You can get him online at the Irascible Disruptor. General Holt, I want to ask you about this. Uh, and again, I, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but uh, I feel like the United States is under attack by Iran and Iran proxy groups that are firing drones and rockets and whatever it is. And they're they're hurting our troops. And all Biden has done is respond with a couple of measly attacks, in my opinion, because it hasn't stopped anything. People continue to get hurt. And I feel as a citizen of this great country that we're under attack and that our commander in chief is doing nothing to defend us. Is that an unfair statement on my behalf? Is this something that I should expect? No, uh, in fact, I'm going to be probably a lot more blunt. Our um, commanders in the field, they have these forces in very dangerous places in Iraq and Syria, 19, 19 installations that in the last 17 days have been attacked no less than 46 times. Uh, the most that we have offered in terms of deterrence for those attacks are silly words. Silly words from the administration where uh, all of them, the leadership, uh, Kirby, Green Jean-Pierre, the president himself, uh, Blinken, they all get on TV and they just say the one word, don't. Um, That doesn't actually deter anything, by the way. Um, The other part of it is (laughs) uh, uh, we, we don't enable our commanders to defend their own bases and take their own defense into their own hands. We don't enable them with the rules of engagement to do so Um, at a strategic level. Um, you don't go hit some silly warehouse and say, you know, if you guys keep this up, we'll do this again and hope that that's going to deter something. What you should do is first stop, stop, stop the bleeding. Um, go ahead and cut off their oil sales. Resume the sanctions at a minimum for Iran. Forget, forget the word proxy. Let's just call it what it is. It's Iran. We have to be honest about that first. Then the second thing is, is if you continue to attack us, you want to hit a base. Okay, that's called an attack. Um, I will, or we, the United States, will create a cost in position on you that will be um, too intense. So, um, okay, half your Navy just got lost. Or we just struck you at this very key installation like you wanted. Or like the last administration, we're going to take out a terrorist general or a general who calls himself a general, but he's really just a, a terrorist, a thug. Um, when, when those costs and positions are, are accrued by Iran, that's when you garner respect. That's when these things stop. What I worry about is if, if we're not going to allow our commanders to defend themselves, um, then we better evaluate what the worth is of those bases in those areas. I, I am constantly haunted by the memories of the 241 Marines killed in Lebanon um, in 1983 mm. and uh, uh, insufficient rules of engagement to defend themselves. And so um, and now we're doing even worse things like, hey, here's our Ohio class nuclear submarine. Does that deter you? There's more hulks of metal. Does that deter you? Only strong leadership from the United States backed up by the force and the willing force of the United States military will deter anything at all. General Holt, this is, uh, it's embarrassing, honestly. It's embarrassing and it kind of pisses me off at the same time. I hope the rest of America sees this as we head into a new uh, election year. And I want to uh, shift gears just a bit um, to what's going on with uh, Israel and uh, Hamas. And there's a clip of audio from Benjamin Netanyahu. He was on uh, Fox News last night 
making uh, his position clear on a ceasefire. And that seems to be the big thing now. Right. And as I scroll through my social media, some people are saying, I can't believe they're not supporting a ceasefire. And others saying, you know, why on earth would you have a ceasefire? Uh, uh, Hamas is still alive and well. Don't stop until they're dead. And and I agree with that. And uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo um, recently said that we need to annihilate Hamas. And Netanyahu, I I feel, uh, echoes that opinion. And I got a clip, it's a minute long, of Netanyahu uh, explaining his position on ceasefires. I want you to check this out. Well, one thing we haven't agreed to is a ceasefire. A ceasefire with Hamas means surrender to Hamas, surrender to terror, and the victory of the uh, Iran's axis of terror. So there won't be a ceasefire without the release of uh, Israeli hostages. That's not going to happen. But we have agreed and have done already uh, safe corridors. You know, uh, uh, two days ago, 50,000 people passed from Gaza City down to the south to the safe zone in a safe corridor. Today, I think another 70,000 have passed. That's very important because we want to get the civilians out of harm's way while Hamas is trying to stop them. Two days ago, it actually fired upon the safe passage to prevent uh, Palestinian civilians from leaving. That, that's the enemy we're dealing with. Not only do they murder and mutilate, rape, uh, and murder women, uh, burn children alive, uh, take hostages of toddlers, babies, uh, elderly, Holocaust survivors, the, the worst savagery perpetrated on the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Uh, not only do they do that, but they actually uh, target their own civilians. That is, they want to keep their civilians as a human shield. So obviously it's a tough enemy, but I think we can overcome them. That's uh, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And General Holt, what's your position on this ceasefire? Yeah, so at the strategic level, this is we we in the United States, in my view, are exhibiting the worst possible statecraft uh, uh, that you could uh, with regard to one of our allies. You don't debate an ally when they're in a warfare situation in the public domain. And what, what we're saying statements is, is we're pressuring Israel. First, we call it a pause. Then we go back to the real term, which is ceasefire. Uh, we come up with this nonsense that it's going to be four hours a day, which is but with three hours notice, so that's really seven hours a day. Um, and we're undermining a military operation. But more importantly, politically, we're destabilizing Netanyahu in a very tenuous Israeli government, in a very tenuous situation. Right. You have to sympathize with the Israelis' plight here. They, they stated their proper goals after the butchery on October 7th, which is we are going to eliminate Hamas. Now, um, I, I get the information war, but, but if anybody really truly understands Hamas, they'll also understand that um, they are using the Palestinians as human shields. They, uh, they, nobody, they, they didn't have to uh, do October 7th. They didn't have to take 220 hostages. They could release them tonight. You don't give them any rewards in advance of release of any hostages. And, uh, and Israel has made good on trying to uh, save as many civilian lives as they can. But the problem is, is when you lose civilian lives there, it's because Hamas is committing grievous crimes, even shooting these people in the backs as they try to get across. But the big sin is the sin of openly and publicly admonishing and debating your ally when they're in an existential fight for their nation. Uh, it's reprehensible. Um, and I hope and, uh, that we will correct course on this uh, quite quickly 
because uh, Israel faces not just threats here in Gaza, but Israel faces a northern front, Iran, Syria, uh, and and look at the Egyptians and uh, and the Jordanians. They won't take a Palestinian. When you go to the Ukrainian case, right. um, they opened their doors to five million Ukrainians. Um, so I can, you know, the, the the Arab world will sympathize. Well, will sympathize with the Palestinians. But they're not going to take any of them. Um, and so Israel's got a real pickle. The worst that could happen with them is their ally, the United States, verbally undermines them as they go about this very arduous and tough work trying to find the hostages, trying to save as many lives as they can as they erase this deadly venom from the planet. Folks, we're on with uh, Brigadier General Blaine Holt, United States Air Force on this Veterans Day evening, and uh, we're going to continue our discussion straight ahead with General Holt. I want to get his views on Veterans Day and maybe some of his uh, favorite stories about Veterans Day. Plus, your calls and more coming up straight ahead, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Brigadier General Blaine Holt, and we're discussing Veterans Day. And General Holt, um, I know we always talk about the policy wonk in you and all of your experience as an Air Force general, but I want to get a sense this Veterans Day of um, some of your... um, fondest memories of Veterans Day and what it really means to you? I'm so glad you asked that. And, you know, I I have to go back to um, really a life-changing command that I held. I was a a colonel and the the base commander of our logistics base in Central Asia uh, in uh, Manas, Kyrgyzstan, uh, two countries just north of uh, Afghanistan, and we were the lifeline uh, to Afghanistan, providing air fueling, bacon, beans, bullets, the troops, all of it. Uh, I like to fashion it as the world's largest bed and breakfast. And uh, back in, in 2009, uh, during that time when we had Veterans Day, uh, when I was there, uh, and, and our team was just clicking, I mean really crushing the mission, um, we were so honored to have at that Veterans Day uh, three Medal of Honor winners from the Medal of Honor Society uh, Association that brought them out to our base. And these were um, two vets from the World War II and one vet from the Korean War. And these gentlemen had stories that just brought my airmen and and the troops coming out of the war or going to the war uh, to a dead stop. We had them in our social center uh, a bar, if you will, where you could get your two whole beers for the night. And mm-hmm. and they sat around and they opened their hearts up to us. And they told the airmen about their stories of gallantry and valor 
Uh, and but but moreover, they also honored the service of the airmen and the soldiers and the sailors and the Marines who were serving then. And uh, they really, really I just it was so heartening for me to watch these these young service people, men and women, uh, just connect so deeply uh, with these Medal of Honor winners and, and what service before self uh, and a, a solemn oath to the Constitution and adherence to your mission objectives, excellence in all you do, uh, uh, be sought. And it was just a magic combination. It was just the best Veterans Day I've ever experienced. What was one of the pearls of wisdom that you took away from these um, Medal of Honor recipients? You know, it was this attitude, this warrior's ethos. They all three shared it. Um, and it all came out to be similar types of things of, of don't quit, it's, it's, it's going to get better at some point. Um, you have to stay in the fight and you've got to fight for your brothers and your sisters. Uh, and that's what will get you through this. And uh, uh, their, their fortitude, their, their absolute bond and relationship to their creator uh, came ringing through their faith, uh, but their American values came ringing through and uh, but but mostly it was this dogged determination to never quit, never give up. And each of them were in harrowing circumstances where you could have easily have seen and you would not have um, criticized any of them for folding or falling or succumbing or not doing what it took uh, uh, to see their unit through, to to take the, the valorous act that, that you would. You know, General Holt, um, as I'm hearing you describe that. I oftentimes I've met um, uh, a few World War II veterans and I was in awe. I really was at like, wow, I didn't know they made men like this. And, you know, like I always thought my dad was the toughest guy and I still have tons of respect for my dad. God rest his soul. Uh, and I always thought, man, I want to be tough like that one day. And uh, did you have that kind of feeling around these guys? I did. I did. And what I was what was such a gift and I told my airmen this after they left was, um, you know, it's rare, the World War II vet, that will actually open up their hearts and share these stories. Yeah. Uh, the World War II generation, they were very common to uh, keep it inside. My own father had joined the Navy on December 8, 1941, the day after mm. Pearl Harbor, and became a Navy CB, went to the Philippines in Corregidor. And even though I would grow up to become an Air Force uh, combat uh, uh, pilot myself, uh, my father would never open up. My father never wanted to share what happened in the Philippines. And I could pull the service record. I could look at the decorations. Uh, but dad would just cheerfully smile and say, Oh, nothing happened. It wasn't, nothing really was a big deal in our unit. And, uh, and I would go back to the Philippines much later and find out that the CDs had anything but a routine mundane existence in Corregidor. Um, but mm -hmm. obviously very surging with pride for my own father, but, but making sure that my airmen understood the value that these men would come here to our combat uh, headquarters, our combat location, and, and not only wish us well, but, but open up their own stories to us so that we could benefit from them. General Holt, America needs more men like them, and I uh, thank you for your service on this Veterans Day. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and thanks for staying up late and chatting with us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I look forward to the next time. Yes, sir. Will do. 
Folks, we're coming right back. It's Veterans Day here on America at Night. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. It's Veterans Day 2023, and we're um, remembering and honoring veterans all across America this evening. And uh, we've got a call from Canton, Ohio, WNIR. Let's go to Sue. Sue, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. How are you? I am. I am okay. I'm going to make Thank this, you, Sue. I'm, I'm going to make this quick and sweet. Um, my husband was a Vietnam vet. Well, thank him for his service. Yeah, well, he passed away in 2012. But, oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, but the thing that they liked best for you to say to them, instead of thank you for your service, is welcome home. Mm. Because they sure didn't get a welcome when they got back. Yeah, I can only imagine. Welcome How home brutal. to them. Yeah. Well, thank you, Sue. I appreciate it. And uh, again, um, a, a big shout out to everybody listening in Canton, Ohio on WNIR. Uh, let's see. Let's go with Tony. Battleboro, Vermont, WVMT. Tony, go right ahead. Uh, hi, Rich. Uh, this, uh, the anti-Semitism is spreading throughout this, the country and beyond. I think it's time. It's one of these situations where... I think the president needs to speak to the nation, educate to the reality that uh, Israel hadn't been in Gaza for 18 years. It was under their complete control, and mm-hmm. hardly anything has been done for the, for the people that we have so much sympathy for, the innocent citizens. Uh, and I heard this morning on uh, Fox Radio, the, the lead, for leadership, for uh, people leading uh, Hamas are billionaires, uh, and that's consistent with uh, allegations about uh, PLO, Arafat, Swiss bank accounts, a lot of money, uh, too much work to get infrastructure in there and everything else. But uh, so if he doesn't uh, step forward, really, uh, especially as a Democrat to Democrats uh, and and speak right. to this re- reality, it's, it, it amounts to condoning. Okay, you know what? I think you're right, Tony. The problem here is that the president is not only um, evil and maniacal, he's also a moron. And I think that he truly believes that, um, like many people out there, that the Israelis are just as complicit as Hamas. And, and that is part of the problem. If, if you think that Israel brought this attack on themselves, you're going to be sympathetic to the terrorists. And I think that's where Biden lands on this, and we're seeing that through his actions. If I'm wrong, hopefully he'll correct me on it and take different action. Tony, thanks for your call. Big shout-out, WVMT. Folks, we're coming back. Hour number two on Veterans Day with me, Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Veterans Day to you. We're honoring veterans all night long here on the program. If you want to join the show, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And the judge in uh, former President Trump's uh, civil fraud trial has had an ethics complaint filed against him by New York Congresswoman Elise Stefanik. Uh, More on that at the top of the hour. Uh, Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe El Baboso Biden. Of course, you know, El Baboso means the drooling, bumbling one in Spanish. And Joe El Baboso Biden's son, Hunter, is now suing the former CEO of Overstock.com, saying he was defamed. We'll get into that as well. Uh, a New York City subway passenger was arrested for firing a warning shot to defend a woman that was being robbed. So much for being a good Samaritan. And uh, President Biden is also scheduled to meet with President Xi of China next Wednesday in San Francisco. And last but not least, you've got the new mayor of Philadelphia has now called on the National Guard to clean up open-air drug markets that are plaguing the city. I say that's about time. Now, of course, this evening our focus is Veterans Day. And as we're looking at Veterans Day and reflecting on Veterans Day, both um, veterans who've served, those who were with us, those who were not, uh, we we had an amazing guest that... uh, on the program that I, I remember being real excited to have this guest on last year because, um, you know, as a young man coming of age, a young dad, uh, newly married and whatnot, I remember always listening to a radio program called Focus on the Family. And every now and again, Dr. Walt Larimore would be on the program. And uh, he always had the, the, the best, the best advice, just excellent information to share and offered it in such a nurturing way. And when I had the opportunity to interview uh, Dr. Walt Larimore, uh, I jumped at the opportunity and we invited him back because he's written an excellent book uh, chronicling his, uh, I believe it's his dad, his dad's story of uh, World War II. And uh, the book is called At First Light, A True World War II Story of a Hero, His Bravery, and an Amazing Horse. And uh, it's a, it's quite an interesting story, and I want to welcome Dr. Walt Larimore back to the program. Sir, welcome. Rich, it's great to be back with you. I remember I was, I was in Asheville. It was a cold, freezing, icing night. I was scared to death to be with you because the book had just come out. And thank you, friend, because that launch of the book took it to to more people than I could have imagined the awards it's received. And as a result, uh, 
My father was has now uh, since been inducted into the Third Infantry Division Hall of Fame, and he's just wow. been uh, just been nominated by by uh, General David Petraeus, former CIA director, former four-star general for the Officer Candidate School OCS Hall of Fame. And so I'm so grateful not only for the opportunity a year ago, but the opportunity now to come back and remember some of our heroes that have been forgotten. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Walt Larimore, and uh, I'm I'm so happy to hear that the the book did well and about your dad's success. That's that's really uh, uh, it warms my heart. It really does. I'm I'm really happy to hear it, and I just want to set the stage a little bit uh, because you know you, you in your book you chronicle the story of bravery of of World War II's Third Infantry Division in Southern Europe's Forgotten Front where the Army's youngest and one of its uh, most highly decorated frontline soldiers, 18-year-old second lieutenant, Philip Larimore, your dad, uh, uh, a Memphis native, fought, and he actually lived to come home, which not everybody did. And that in and of itself is a blessing. And uh, I want to get into a little bit of that story. I know there's um, five D-Days that you describe in the book uh, that the 3rd Infantry Division encountered. And uh, I'd love to hear more about it. Well, everyone knows about D-Day, right? Normandy. Sure. Uh, Dad called those guys the, the northern guys. And, of course, it was hell on earth. But nobody knows the southern guys had five D-Days. The, the first D-Day in the war was in French Morocco when the 3rd Infantry Division joined colleagues and became the first division active in the war. Uh, they fought longer. The northern guys fought 336 days. It was horrible. But the Southern Front guys fought 912, had the most casualties, had the most Purple Hearts, had the most wow. Medals of Honor. Uh, they, they liberated the first city in Europe, Rome, but they made the mistake of liberating it on June 4th and 5th. It was going out on the front pages of every paper in America on June 6th. But guess what happened June 6th? Normandy. Mm-hmm. And so once once again, they were forgotten. But those guys uh, had 39 medals of honor, the most of any division, 2,000 silver stars, 133 distinguished service crosses. And dad was honored to fight with him. He was a frontline soldier at 18, the youngest commission officer in the army at a time when Rich, the frontline officers, junior officers had a life expectancy of 21 days, fought through Anzio, which was a Anzio was essentially World War I trench warfare for four months. They fought through that uh, through Salerno. The, uh, well, Sicily was the second D-Day. Salerno was the third. Anzio was the fourth. And then southern France was the fifth. Raced through France into Germany, across to Austria, fought in seven countries, 3,200 miles, completely forgotten. And I wanted to, to honor all of those two million men and women who fought in Europe, the Southern Front's been forgotten, but my prayer, my hope was that the, this book, At First Light, would help resurrect and revive the memory of their suffering, their sacrifice, and their amazing successes. In fact, Rich, real quick, I'm talking too much, but... No, no, you're good. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people think of Band of Brothers showing uh, the Northern guys liberating the Eagle's Nest. They didn't. It was the 3rd Infantry Division that uh, liberated Hitler's final final uh, Eagle's Nest. And so bravo to, to those veterans. We've lost most of them now. 
Well, it's a, it's an amazing tale, and we're going to continue to delve into it with Dr. Walt Laramore. And uh, you know, Dr. Walt, the the uh, this story you just mentioned that you wanted to honor these two million people and tell this story, and it's so important because uh, a few years ago, and I don't know if he's still with us, uh, probably four years ago, I interviewed uh, a World War II veteran, and there's very few of them that are even alive today, and I. I, I learned a lot, and one of the things I learned was it was so difficult to get him to open up to tell me what happened. Um, he, he would he was very vague, and he spoke in generalities, and he didn't want to get into the real story. And and you know I didn't blame him for it, and that's a, a trait very characteristic of guys from that era. They just they did what they had to do, you know. They kicked butt, they took names, and and they kept it moving, and. It's a class of gener- uh, a class of man, a class of gentleman that uh, I think ceased to exist lamentably, and stories like the one you're telling really help those of us that weren't there and don't have direct access to understand what they really went through. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity and looking forward to hearing more about the third inter- third infantry division's um, plight as as they work through this. And we're going to continue with Dr. Walt Laramore straight ahead. Folks, if you want to join the conversation, the phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833 482 Familia, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Dr. Walt Laramore. He is the author of At First Light, a true World War II story of a hero, his bravery, and an amazing horse. And Dr. Laramore, you were telling us about the 3rd Infantry Division and and all that they went through and how they're kind of unsung heroes in many ways. Um, tell us about how the 3rd Infantry Division was the only unit that served in all 10 campaigns of the European War. Yeah, they started the European War in French Morocco, fought across North Africa, through Sicily, Salerno, Anzio, up through Italy, then all the way through France, raced across the Siegfried Line, the fortified Siegfried Line, into Germany, finally ending up the war in in Austria. Um, The division averaged between 12,000 and 15,000, Men at any given time, Rich, they had over thirty to thirty-five thousand casualties. Wow! These were guys that, that went in and fought their guts out for two reasons. Number one, to preserve liberty and freedom back here for us. Number two, to liberate each of those countries from Nazi, fascism, and evil. And then finally, I guess I could add number three, they fought for each other. To, to save, the, save the lives of their buddies who they came to love and then to get back home and serve the country they saved. Amazing, amazing group of men and women. 
It's amazing. And, and, you know, you mentioned something earlier that was remarkable. I never heard that statistic that the life expectancy was only 21 days. I mean, it was I, horrible, especially, especially in the front line. Dad's first appointment as a platoon leader was of an A&P platoon, ammunition mm-hmm. and pioneer. Their day started at dusk and it ended at first light. And they were in no man's land all night long, putting mines down, diffusing mines, laying wire, cutting wire. They were within yards of the enemy. In fact, one night, Dad was out in no man's land with one of his men. A German soldier in, the, in, a, in a, a foxhole sneezed. And Dad's private just, just respectfully said, Gesundheit. <laughs> and the German <laughs> soldier said, Danka, not knowing that it was an American, literally oh, within yards, yards of him. But although Dad, like a lot of the young men, he was 18 when he went to war. He was just a teenager, yeah. went over to you know kick the heil out of Hitler. But very quickly, especially as they saw their buddies being slaughtered, they became warriors. It's an amazing story. Uh, again, the book is At First Light, a true World War II story of a hero, his bravery, and an amazing horse. Uh, you can get a copy at drwalt.com or wherever you get your books. And uh, Dr. Walt, I want to continue because uh, another statistic I didn't know is how many of the 3rd Infantry Division's soldiers were awarded the Medal of Honor. Yeah, in fact, it was the, the, the division had more Medals of Honor during the war than any other division in the war. Uh, my, my dad was awarded every Army Valor Award except the Medal of Honor. So he was one of the most decorated of the frontline soldiers. But this book covers him. It covers that third division. It covers an amazing story of, of a secret mission he went on going into Czechoslovakia to save the Lipizzans, those, those wonderful white dancing horses from Vienna, Austria, mm. who were likely going to be wiped out by the Russians. And he had a secret mission to do that. And then, Rich, exactly 30 days before the end of the war, on April 8th, 1945, the war ended May 8th, he went in to save a group of his men that were surrounded by 130 to 150 Germans. On the back wow. of a tank, firing that 50 caliber machine gun, saved his men, but lost his leg, almost lost his life. And then the battle of his life, after recuperation, was fighting an insane policy the Army had that officers who were amputees could no longer be considered officer and gentlemen, and they were kicked out of the Army. But with the help of President Truman, General Eisenhower, he fought that policy. And the story of that, I think, worth the price of the book. It's almost like the final court scene in that movie, A Few Good Men, where Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise are battling it out. And... uh, that plus the amazing horse that he saved that saved his life. It's almost too much to talk about in a short segment, isn't it, Rich? Yeah, it's a remarkable story. And, folks, I recommend getting the book and, honestly, getting two copies, one for yourself and one to give away as a gift. The holidays are coming. Uh, make sure you check out the book At First Light, a true World War II story of a hero, his bravery, and an amazing horse. You could get a copy at drwalt.com or Amazon or wherever you get your books. And Dr. Walt, before uh, we part ways in the two or three minutes we have remaining, uh, I I came to know you as as a physician and giving some amazing advice. And and honestly, whether you know it or not, your advice and and many of your colleagues um, helped me to raise my kids. (laughs) And uh, I'm, I'm looking at your website and there's a, a, a little blurb here that says, uh, the best gift 
tales of a small town doctor learning life's greatest lessons. What are some of those greatest lessons that you've learned in your years of practice? You know, I think it has been to the two greatest lessons are the two greatest commandments. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength, and to, to have that relationship with him that's personal. That, that, for me, is number one. And then number two, to love and serve others. Uh, you know, uh, uh, to love others as you love yourself. So to love yourself, to love others, to serve others. And on this Veterans Day, to remember those who suffered, sacrificed for each of us, that we can have freedom, that we can have liberty. We sit on their shoulders. We walk in their footsteps. And so tomorrow, celebrate, be with your family, have grill out. But one of the things my family does every Veterans Day and Memorial Day, since I started researching this book 15 years ago, is we tell stories of those that we owe much to. And Rich, for those of us that haven't served, we don't say thank you enough to those who who did. And one other real quick thing, you've mentioned my website, and that's fine, but Amazon, in honor of Veterans Day, has this book on sale, almost 40% off for the hardcover. And so David Petraeus, who was the first person to read the book and endorse it, his endorsement's on the front cover. And I hope it'll be a blessing for everyone who who reads it. Uh, Those who have kids that have gone the wrong way, dad was a juvenile delinquent. Those who are suffering through difficult times, learn from these men who suffered from that time. Learn from the advice that they got from chaplains. Dad had a had a chaplain who said, this wound when you lost your leg, he said, son, it'll either make you a bitter person or a better person. It'll either harden your heart or it'll soften it. And uh, the worst disability, the chaplain told him, isn't being disabled, but it's being disabled with a bad attitude. So mm-hmm. the, guy, the, the chaplain told him, the Germans smash your leg. Don't let them smash your heart, your talents, your gifts, your will, or your faith in God and his plan for you. The choice is up to you. And Rich, if we can get that message out across America, it can save our country. It can save families. It can save communities. It's a Veterans Day salute that's worth hearing. Amen. Folks, we're on with Dr. Walt Laramore. He's the author of At First Light, and you've got to get this book. I mean, uh, it's just an amazing book. At First Light, a true World War II story of a hero, his bravery, and an amazing horse. And do yourself a favor, go to Amazon and get it for 40% off. Now you definitely got to get two copies. One is a stocking stuffer and one for you to read. Dr. Walt Laramore, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for staying up late with us. God bless, Rich. God bless you too, sir. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We'll be right back. Welcome back, amigos. We uh, continue our discussion on Veterans Day with another veteran himself, Dr. Paul Dillon. He is a veteran of the Vietnam War. He served as a first lieutenant. He was awarded two bronze stars. He's an adjunct professor at the Sanford School of Public Policy at Duke University and a certified management consultant. And we're going to discuss two myths regarding veterans One, that all veterans are broken, 
and the other that all veterans are heroes. And I want to have that discussion right now with Dr. Paul Dillon. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much, Rich. It's uh, Thank you for having me on. It's my pleasure, and thank you for your service. Uh, we honor you on this Veterans Day, sir. I greatly appreciate that. I'd like to get into uh, the first of the two myths, uh, which is that all veterans are broken, <laughs> because I think it, that's uh, worthy of discussion. You know, that's a, a very uh, common misperception. Uh, you know, some veterans, uh, particularly young people, have come back from the recent Afghanistan and Iraq wars, um, uh, have had serious problems. And those people really, really need to be taken care of. But I think it's important to emphasize uh, that it isn't everybody. You know, the VA estimates that uh, uh, between 11 and 20 percent of these younger people coming home have had post-traumatic stress uh, uh, disorder. Well, seven to eight percent of the general population has had post-traumatic stress. So, um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's not it isn't everybody. And I think uh, the uh, uh, general population needs to understand that, uh, that um, some people have come back um, with uh, severe mental illness or sure. post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain damage, but it's not everybody. And, um, uh, you know, it's been estimated that only 30% of the people who deployed in these recent wars have seen combat. The uh, other 70% or you know, radar operators and computer operators and aircraft loaders and whatever. So um, they're just trying to come home and get a job. And I think, right. uh, you know, they're fighting with, uh, they're, they could be fighting with a misconception that, um, you know, everybody has had issues. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's an unfair shake, <laughs> right? If you're a veteran, you served, whether you saw combat or not, uh, the idea that somebody's thinking that, you know, you're going to have some sort of flashback or that you have PTSD or that, um, you know, you're you're somehow, like you said, quote unquote, broken. Uh, it, it could be very, very unfair to, to those that have served very valiantly in our military. Sure. And particularly if you've, uh, you know, served as a, a aircraft loader or uh, air traffic controller, you know, <laughs> it just it doesn't fit, you know, and that's. That's the majority of the people who have served. You know, they're doing those kind of jobs. So um, I, I think that that myth that um, uh, you know there's uh, uh, everybody's coming back with a problem isn't uh, necessarily a, uh, a correct one or not a correct one at all. Right. And I I, I think that's balanced, Rich, with. Um, uh, the misconception that everybody's a hero. Um, some people are. I would certainly put uh, Silver Star recipients, Medal of Honor recipients in that category. But well, Interestingly, uh, uh, you yourself have received two Bronze Stars. And uh, when we come back from the break, I'd, I'd like to um, learn a little bit more about how you earned those stars and the stories behind them. 
uh, as well as uh, some of your additional thoughts on Veterans Day. Folks, we're on with Dr. Paul Dillon. He's a uh, Bronze Star recipient two times over. He served as a first lieutenant in Vietnam and is a adjunct professor at the Stanford School of Public Policy at Duke University. He's also a certified management consultant, and we're going to continue our discussion with him on Veterans Day and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. We continue our discussion on Veterans Day with Dr. Paul Dillon. Uh, he's the recipient of two Bronze Star Medals, uh, served as a first lieutenant in Vietnam. And uh, Dr. Dillon, uh, tell us the stories that are attached to each of those Bronze Star Medals. Um, well, I'll tell you briefly. Um, uh, what I did in Vietnam was to help run the Army air traffic control system throughout the country with the 165th Aviation Group of the 1st Aviation Brigade. We ran all of the mobile uh, control towers, radars, navigational aids throughout the country. And the way that you got around the country um, during that war uh, was you hit strides in helicopters. And that's how you got from place to place, you know, so, uh, hey, where are you guys going? Uh, Fantiet, okay, I uh, got to go there. Okay, Lieutenant, hop on. And um, let's just say that uh, it's in two of those helicopter rides that I um, I uh, picked up uh, two uh, Bronze Stars. But, Rich, you know, uh, that war was 50 years ago. Um, I'm so impressed now with the younger people who have come back, those who have seen combat and are decorated and how wonderful I've talked to many of them and how wonderful they are, you know, and, um, uh, they are, they are truly uh, remarkable people and many remarkable leaders. So, um, you know, those people should really be, uh, uh, saluted because yeah. they've, uh, you know, really experienced uh, an awful lot. And many of them have come back decorated with silver stars, which is, you know, uh, above a bronze star, you know. So, sure. uh, uh, you know, that's they're just remarkable young people and um, really, you know, uh, bold well for the future of America and the armed forces, I think. Dr. Dillon, so, what would you say is the um, the barrier that so many veterans face when looking for employment uh, employment uh, post their service in the military. 
Uh, did you say the barriers? Yeah, right? what's stopping them from, from, you know, why are they such an underrepresented group in the workforce? Well, uh, uh, first of all, they're, they're not doing badly, uh, according to the latest statistics. In, uh, in, Oct- in October of this year, the unemployment rate uh, for veterans was 2.9%. Um, versus uh, 3.6% for the general population. So uh, statistics say that uh, they're not doing uh, too badly. However, um, because less than 1% of the the, uh, population of the United States have uh, have served, there's a – great uh, cultural uh, civilian-military divide, and people don't understand um, the uh, tremendous leadership skills uh, and the tremendous assets that veterans can be in many, in many instances. And, um, and veterans themselves have had a hard time in some circumstances translating their um, military service into civilian uh, occupations. Um, that's being remedied now by a lot of um, uh, uh, online uh, opportunities. Meta has done one to translate uh, military skills into civilian skills. So there's a lack of under- there's a lack of understanding in the civilian population about um, the uh, tremendous leadership skills and work skills that veterans have, and I think that's that's you know that's a uh, that's a great uh, uh, you know uh, hindrance to veterans that uh, uh, they have to um, uh, reinterpret their skills and get the civilian population to understand the tremendous assets that they can be to a company. Now, oftentimes when I've uh, interviewed veterans, I find that they're some of the most um agile when it comes to being a leader, being a manager, being an entrepreneur. Um, what makes, what's your opinion on why veterans are the most inspired entrepreneurs that people would come across? Well, because, uh, they have some, um, some skills and this also applies to, to, uh, employees as well. You know, um, the military service, uh, rich, uh, uh, teaches you uh, to um, uh, have a commitment to accomplishing a mission. And that's the, uh, uh, you know, one of the primary objectives uh, of a military service is accomplishing the mission. Um, the second is, I think, maybe a, a commitment to hard work. You know, the Army used to have a saying that, um uh, uh, you know, they do more by 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Let me tell you something. That's exactly true. <laughs> I experienced <laughs> that, you know. Uh, uh, so, uh, uh, that, you know, there's a, uh, it's hard work. And uh, there aren't weekends or time down. It's 24-7, you know. So there's this commitment to hard work. I think um, also... Uh, the whole uh, armed forces of the United States is built on the buddy system. Um, and uh, you work as a team. Uh, 
So you're very interested and very experienced in working as a team, and in many instances, leading a team, which is a skill that every business uh, certainly needs. And I think uh, along with that, uh, the ability to pivot from plans that aren't working to plans that do. Because let me tell you something, uh, Rich. Uh, Okay, Lieutenant Dillon, if your battle plan isn't working, you better figure out something that is now because a lot Mm -hmm. of people are going to get hit, you know, killed or, or injured. So this isn't about corporate profits. This is about life, you know, life and death. So um, you're taught, you're absolutely right, you're taught about agility, uh, the ability to uh, uh, move from plans right away that aren't working to plans uh, that that, uh, do. But the final thing is, and I think this is, you know, perhaps the most important, is duty before self and taking care of your people. Right. You know, Rich, the the um, the buzzwords of business now are servant leadership. If you take care of, of your people and your customers or clients, profits will come. And I can tell you, after spending 47 years in the accounting and building business, that is absolutely true. I subscribe to that. But here's the thing. The Army has been teaching servant leadership for over 253 years, you mm-hmm. know, because if you're if you don't take care of your people while you're accomplishing the mission, it doesn't work. They're not going to follow you. Nobody's right. going to sa- sacrifice themselves for your silver star or your medal of honor. They're not going to do it. So you have to convince them that you have their best interest in mind while you're accomplishing the mission. Rich, it's the best leadership training in the world. The best leadership Mm -hmm. training in the world. You know, Lieutenant Dillon, I don't doubt that for a second. And um, very enlightening conversation. And I think you're 100% right. And I want to let people know if they want to learn more about you, they can go to Dillon Consult, D-I-L-L-O-N-C-O-N-S-U-L-T dot com. To learn more about the work that you're doing, and I just want to thank you and honor you for your uh, service to this country on this Veterans Day, uh, Dr. Paul Dillon. Thank you for being with us. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I'm really grateful that you stayed up late to have this conversation with us. It's my honor and privilege, Rich, and I really appreciate your comments. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. You bet, folks. We're going to get to your calls and more on Veterans Day and everything else we've discussed this evening. Straight ahead, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. And we were discussing the workforce and how veterans fit into the workforce. And I want to get to your calls on this Veterans Day evening. Um, Obviously, Veterans Day tomorrow, but we're uh, doing it on the air tonight. And uh, some portions of this program will repeat tomorrow for the best of America at night. And uh, if you missed any of it, you can catch it then or catch it online at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Absolutely free. And I want to go to Steve. He's in Atlanta, Georgia on WGKA. Steve, go right ahead. Hey, thanks. Thanks for taking the call, Mr. Valdez. Are you a writer as well? I used to write for the Washington Times. I had a monthly column um, called the A-List on Americanism back in 2013, but uh, I haven't really done much writing since. You're a deep thinker. Okay. So anyway, I just want, I was just curious. Um, So, so I'm a plumber in Atlanta, right? But I, I started in sales and then I went into plumbing for a little while. And, uh, and then I ran six businesses. Um, I had, um, uh, they failed obviously because I'm not, I'm not, I'm a plumber again. So, <laughs> um, but well, that's the I, best I, business it's, it's you could be in. I, I really enjoy I'm in residential service in Atlanta and I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy the camaraderie and the interaction with the uh, customers. And then I'm in my own truck all day anyway. So just so you know, you Steve, have- I've never met a broke plumber. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I live in a, I live in a five bedroom house. <laughs> I uh, bet I'm you comfortable. do. <laughs> Go right ahead. But so, the, the thing that I wanted that that guy that I just heard speaking a little while ago, who was a veteran, I, I could never do that. I want to say that first off is that I could never be a veteran because I'm afraid of blood. Like I went to Iraq and Afghanistan, did plumbing over there for like three and a half years. But wow. when they drew the blood, I said, "Go ahead and get your towel ready." And I'm going to pass out. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't be a cop either, you know, I, or, or a, any kind of first responder. I couldn't be, I, I couldn't be the person in the hospital either. Anyway, what, what I was going to tell you was that um, I, I work for a company right now and, and we get, uh, um, for some reason, I have no idea why uh, I'm in charge of uh, training because I'm a senior. That's not, the thing that I don't know the reason why is because I'm good. I'm, I'm great. We're down to 30 seconds, right. Steve. So, oh, okay. Even uh, less I now. Think, Go for it I quickly. Think, uh, we, we've got to appreciate the veterans and, and also take in the veterans and the people who are coming out of jail who just want a way forward. You're right, Steve. And I appreciate your point. Folks, it's Veterans Day with me, Rich Valdez, here on America at Night. Open Phone America is coming up right now. Give us a call and don't move a muscle. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Friday night edition of the program, Veterans Day, and I want to welcome you to the third and final hour of the program. We call it Open Phone America. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And New York City Mayor Eric Adams had his cell phones and his iPad seized by the FBI. Yep, sounds familiar to another New York City Mayor, Rudy Giuliani. They went to his house and took his cell phones and uh, iPad as well a couple of years ago and in uh, in reference to the <clears throat> witch hunt into former President Donald Trump. Um, why'd they do this to Giuliani? Well, they did it because he was representing Trump. <laughs> Go figure. You're not allowed to have a lawyer and your lawyer is not allowed to have an iPad. Uh, but this situation is different. Eric Adams is a sitting president who's really bad at his job. And the FBI seized Mayor Eric Adams' electronic devices early this week as part of a federal probe into his campaign fundraising. So I want you to hear the report uh, from Aaron Katursky. Well, we're told that on Monday after an event at NYU, FBI agents approached Mayor Eric Adams and demanded that he turn over two cell phones and an iPad, the electronic devices that he had on him at the time. We're told the mayor complied voluntarily. And it followed the mayor apparently learning that an individual uh, who was not identified had acted inappropriately. Uh, he or his campaign or his attorney had reported it to the FBI, and that's when the agent showed up to demand a search of his phones and his uh, other electronic devices. Uh, there's no word on who this person that the, the mayor reported was. Uh, the mayor himself has not been accused of any wrongdoing. This all has to do with an investigation uh, into campaign contributions being led by the FBI and federal prosecutors from the Southern District of New York. At issue is whether illegal foreign donations from Turkey were somehow injected into the Adams campaign through a Brooklyn construction company. Well, would you look at that? They suspect the Adams campaign of being funded by the Turkish government, uh, good old Erdogan, right? Crazy stuff. Anyway, the FBI took his uh, electronic devices and the feds took two cell phones and an iPad. They uh, believe that the Turkish government and others may be uh, directly contributing to his campaign coffers. Adams' attorney... Boyd Johnson said the mayor was cooperating with federal authorities and reported that a review found an individual had recently, as you just heard in the report, acted improperly. I don't know what that means. Uh, after learning of the federal investigation, it was discovered that an individual had recently acted improperly in the spirit of transparency and cooperation. This behavior was immediately and proactively reported. What is the behavior? That's what we want to know. Inquiring minds, minds want to know. I'm one of those inquiring minds. On Monday, the FBI took this stuff, and uh, Adams himself added that as a former member of law enforcement, he expects all members of his staff to follow the law fully and cooperate with any investigation. He says he'll continue to do exactly that, and he's got nothing to hide. Let's see what happens, Mr. Uh, Mayor Adams. Because uh, it seems fishy. I, I, I can tell you, hasta la fecha, right? Uh, 
to date. I've never had anything confiscated by the FBI. Hopefully uh, they won't come uh, knock down my door tomorrow and say, hey, you talk about Trump. What are you, one of those rad trad conservatives? You know, who knows what will happen. Anyway, um, the um, electronics were returned to the mayor um, just a few days later. And it seems that they got what they needed. Um, We'll see. We'll see if this has anything to do with the crazy migrant crisis. Um, Who knows? But I want to continue with our conversation on Veterans Day, our conversation on everything going on in the world, because there's a lot going on in the world. And I want to get to your calls as well. Uh, Let's go to Joanne calling from Emporia, Kansas on KVOE. Joanne, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Hi. Yeah, Emporia, Kansas, the founding city of Veterans Day. Seventy years ago, one of our congressmen went to President Eisenhower. It was uh, one. It was a in response to a citizen from Emporia who had a nephew who had died in World War II, and he uh, contacted the. Uh, congressman, and he went to President Eisenhower 70 years ago, and it was changed from Armistice Day to Veterans Day. But I just, and I call Jim Bohannon every year about this. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) I just wanted to repeat the story, but I I thank you for all you do because I so enjoy, I don't even watch the news anymore on television. I just listen to you to get what's the latest scoop. Well, thank you for that. And I'll tell you that I rarely watch the news myself. I, I watch it to kind of, you know, make sure I know what's going on before I get on the air. But uh, it's depressing watching the news. You watch the news and you think half half of the time I'm watching the news, I'm yelling at the television. The other half of the time, I'm, you know, usually shaking my head in agreement going, yeah, this is not good. Uh, but, uh, Joanne, thank you. I appreciate that. And, yeah, Veterans Day, um, there's a lot of... Um, information on how it started and how it went from Armistice Day to uh, a day to honor all veterans as a, what they call a National Veterans Day and being designated as November 11th. And uh, I think the congressman you're talking about, uh, let's see here, right? So you're in Emporia, Kansas. The congressman in question here is um, Edward Reese of Kansas proposed that a bill would change Armistice Day to Veterans Day. Back in 1954, Congress passed that bill and Eisenhower signed it, proclaiming November 11th as Veterans Day. Uh, Raymond Weeks received the Presidential Citizens Medal from President Reagan back in 1982. And Weeks has a local parade and ceremonies that are now an annual event that are celebrated nationwide. And it's great to be a part of history. It's great to honor those who've served and always great to speak with someone that tunes into the program, Joanne. So thank you for your call. I really appreciate it. And we're going to continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. The phone number, if you want to join us, there's only uh, 40 some odd minutes left in the program. So get your calls in quickly. 866-505-4626. That's our legacy line. If you want to join us on that line, feel free. If not, call us on the other one. They ring in the same place. (laughs) 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 
833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. today remember those who do not those who know freedom remember today those who gave up life for freedom today in honor of the dead we conduct ceremonies we lay wreaths we speak words of tribute and in our memories in our hearts we hold them close to us still throughout america today we honor the dead of our wars we recall their valor and their sacrifices. We remember they gave their lives so that others might live. A grateful nation opens her heart today in gratitude for their sacrifice, for their courage, and for their noble service. From the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Wilson Reagan, as we uh, honor veterans this Veterans Day here on America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Happy to be here. Uh, make sure you um, follow me on social media at Rich Valdez and drop a comment there. If you're not calling, if you are calling, feel free to do it now. 833-482-5337. And let's go to Michael Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A. Go right ahead. Veterans Day, great uh, Veterans Day program. Um, thank you. I want to thank, uh, you know, uh, first of all, uh, all our veterans, past and present for their service. Uh, thank you for that great clip from President Reagan. Yes, he just had a way with words, and what a great uh, tribute there. Um, Rich, I wanted to share with uh, your listeners with America, um, my dad was a World War II veteran, one of the wow. D-Day boys who was a master, master sergeant. Uh, that's where he met my mom. Uh, actually, he was stationed in Staten Island for a year. That's where he met her <laughs> in uh, New Fort York <laughs> Uh, uh, my dad, he said he needed was it at Fort Totten. I, I think it was. He would mention yeah. about it. So he went on his day off. My mom was working at the U.S. Zoo in Manhattan, and that's where they met. He got a new pair of army boots, and uh, cool. I guess they, he, you know, went out, and then he reconnected after the war. But the story I wanted to share, Rich, uh, with uh, with you and your listeners. Um, he was in London. They had a parade for the fellows just before they went over for D-Day. And um, the head of the parade was General Eisenhower. My dad said this is completely true. He was on the edge of the street uh, in his sergeant's uh, uniform, and the parade stopped right in front of him. And there was General Eisenhower right in front of him. He looked right at my dad and saluted. Of course, my dad saluted right back. So my dad got a salute from General Eisenhower. How cool is that? That's a completely true story, and I would marvel at that when my dad would mention it. And he goes, yeah. He said, Ike looked right at me. He was right in front of me, 
and gave me a salute. And of course, I saluted her, saluted right back. <laughs> That's a very cool story. Uh, I don't have a one-up on that one. <laughs> My dad did not salute Ike Eisenhower. And a uh, really uh, amazing story because, A, obviously, um, I take my hat off to every World War II veteran, every veteran, honestly, but the World War II guys are really a special bunch. Um, I was telling one of our guests earlier, I feel like they don't make men like that anymore. I wish they did, and I wish I could learn more from them to, um, you know, borrow a few pages from their playbook because I think there's a crisis of humanity in our country. Uh, and um, moreover, a crisis in masculinity and and men in general. And that greatest generation uh, needs to be saluted and honored and remembered and emulated so that we can be like them, honestly. Um, that's, I think, what America needs right now. One of many things that America needs is, is men that will step up and do their job. And I guess you can call me a, <clears throat> a chauvinist or a sexist or whatever, but you know, not exclusive to men. There was a lot of, you know, Rosie the Riveter type of women out there, uh, but like your mom working in the USO. But th those individuals in in that era, they just, they were, they were a different breed. You know, uh, t two guests ago, we had uh, Dr. Walt Laramore. He was telling us about his dad who served at 18 years old and lost a leg. And I'm sure there's plenty of 18-year-olds that have lost their legs in service to our country. Uh, but it makes me think of how, you know, I, as he was telling me that I was thinking of my own 18 year old, uh, a little girl who very much still looks like a little girl. And, and I just think to myself, this, you know, this 18 year old had to become a man. And, and even your dad, I'm sure was a very young man. And it's, uh, it, it's remarkable. And again, it still happens. Lots of people join the military at 18 but we don't always have that type of war where, you know, the life expectancy is 21 days. And um, I just have such a tremendous amount of respect for the the men that served in World War II and those that I've spoken with. It's really left quite an impression on me. So, Michael, thank you for your call. I, I thank your dad and uh, his memory for his service. And uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Ardell, calling from Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Ardell, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Oh, thank you, Rich. I'm a long-time listener, but it's a first-time caller. Oh, well, welcome. I'm glad you called. Uh, yes. Okay. And I used to listen to uh, Jim Bohannon also. Well, oh, he's um, terrific. And we're going to play oh, some yeah, audio clips of him. We played them at the top of the first hour. But I'm going to play uh -huh. them again because, you know, Jim Bohannon was a veteran. And yes, he had a I couple remember. of Veterans yeah. Day stories that he'd shared in the past, and I want to remember those as well. Go right ahead. Yeah, yeah I remember. Well, um, my husband was in uh, between in Marines for uh, four years. Well, that was be April 1955 to April 1959. So, of course, he was in, you know, during peacetime, which I was thankful for that anyway between the uh, Korean War and Vietnam War. Now, the last year he was in, he said, oh, you didn't serve any time overseas, so all places, they sent him to Japan. So last year he was in Japan. But, you know, I'm old enough that I can remember the Second World War, like when I was in first grade. 
people would go all out for everything. You know what? They would collect uh, metal pans and anything metal and stuff, you know, to donate and to help. I don't know. I guess they made uh, equipment and stuff, you know, for, sure. the, for the Army, yes. And um, they bought war bonds. My, when I was in yeah, kindergarten, my mother would give me a dollar, yeah, and I would take it to school. And they used to sell the 10 cent. You get a sheet of 10 cent, 10, 10 cent ones put in your book. You had to get a war bond. I remember that. Oh, and then they had air raid wardens would come around. I remember one time it was in the summer, so we're all sitting out on the porch, and they came around, and some people were smoking a cigarette, and they actually made them <laughs> put the cigarette out. Do you believe that? I don't know what they could see for a little cigarette. Well, anyway, that's what they did. Yeah, it was a, it was altogether different time, you know. I don't know. I appreciate every veteran. I, I could served. only imagine, Ardell how different of a time it was. Uh, obviously, I wasn't there. But um, when I speak with people that were there and they share and they reminisce about those times, as challenging as they were, they seemed like uh, just happier and and more fulfilled people that, you know, were appreciated life in a different way than we do right now, despite all of the challenges of World War II and, and the Depression and the remnants of that and and um, what is to come following that. And it just, it, it really is remarkable to me when they say they're the greatest generation, I have no doubt in my mind that they truly were. Yes, I really appreciate it. Now, my father was in, but he wasn't overseas. Now, he was stationed in um, New London, Connecticut, along the coast there. So he got some furloughs, or else my first sibling wouldn't have been born in 46. Yeah, he ah. got home about 10 days before she was born. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, my first sibling, but I lost her well, four years oh, ago. I'm sorry to hear that. But thank you, Ardell. I'm sorry about the loss of your sister, and I'm grateful for your dad's service and that of your, um, your husband as well. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout-out to everybody listening on WEEU. And we continue with your calls and more on Veterans Day right here with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, amigos. We continue with our Veterans Day program honoring veterans all across America. And one of the veterans that comes to mind, I played this clip a little while ago, and I'm going to replay it now in that third hour, is that of my predecessor, the late, great Jim Bohannon, who is a veteran of the Vietnam War. And back in 2019, Jimbo was describing how he felt when people would say, Thank you for your service. As a veteran, I am very grateful. I spent a, a lot of time since my time in service in the Vietnam era where I didn't hear that. And to hear it now, it's never too late. And I like the words. Thank you for your service. That's sufficient for me. 
what a class act Jim Bohannon was. And even when he was talking about how he had been injured in Vietnam, whether it was a little scrape or a little scar, uh, he was always so gracious about it, just like he was on the air. Check this out. Uh, as far as I know, I never suffered PTSD or any other uh, mental affliction from that uh, conflict. It certainly wasn't uh, a fun time in my life. And there were times of uh, considerable danger. But uh, again, that goes with the territory. I got out. I got out fine, as far as I know. Uh, physically, I've got uh, one little tiny scar, which, uh, frankly, I got uh, diving for cover to save my butt. It's not exactly what you would call <laughs> a, a heroic wound. So, uh, needless to say, I didn't uh, put in for a purple heart for that. Uh, diving for, for cover and scratching yourself on a piece of barbed wire during a mortar attack hardly seems like the basis for uh, for a medal. Jim Bohannon, again, with such an amazing way with words. And uh, as we continue um, honoring veterans from across America, I want to go to the phones, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. I want to check in with somebody listening online to richvaldezamericatnight.com. Our buddy Pat from Sedona, Arizona. Pat, welcome. Hey, Rich. How you doing? Thanks for taking me right away. I really appreciate that. You no, got it. And I just want to thank you for your service. I appreciate everything you've done for our country. Well, thank you. I mean, my country's done a lot for me, and I and I and I did a lot for the the men and women that I served with. And I'd like to talk about my dad, who was a veteran during W two. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Old. Yeah, he joined up right at the end, right before uh, 44. He joined up, and he was in the last six months of World War II. And uh, he served in some pretty hairy places. The man was amazing. He was always full of a lot of joy and happiness. But he had his, his ups and downs, like a lot of guys who came back, and he, he couldn't get a job. Can you believe this? They wouldn't give him a job, they said. And he had his dog shame. tags. And he, and he showed him his wound because he got shot in the leg. And he showed wow. him his wound. He says, I got hit me. And they're all saying, hey, kid, we don't know you were in, uh, you know, in the in military. Because they were giving guys that came back from the war uh, priority on jobs. And he couldn't get a job. So, you know, what he did join back up with the Marine Corps back huh. in uh, 47. And uh, guess where he went from the frying pan into the fire? He went to Korea, wow. and he served about he served eight months there, and then he came home, and that's where he uh, met my mom, who was also a veteran of the Korean War. She was a army, uh, uh, she was a surgical nurse in the MASH unit, and they didn't wow. see each other or know each other, but they were over there probably around the same time. Uh, never really got all that kind of dates and stuff straight, but, uh, you know, and, uh, they, they met and they met in Europe because mom went from Korea to Europe after the war. She stayed in and dad, of course he stayed in and he did work over there with in the American zone and they fell in love and they got married and they started having kids. My mom in those days, if you, you know, if you're married, you could stay in, but if you got, if you started having kids, no, but that was just the way it was in the fifties. And, but she didn't mind it because her, her goal was to have the family and she wanted it really bad. And, you know, she was 30 years old at that time. 
And uh, I had an older brother, uh, Paul, who didn't make uh, make it back from Vietnam. And I have another brother. And yeah, I mean, Paul was he was uh, two weeks after his twenty first birthday, and that really it it today that still hits me. I think of him a lot because I can only imagine my brothers. He's yeah, he's the only one that didn't make back. And I was in the Gulf War with more of my older brothers. He was in the wow. Marines, the second division. I was in the fourth division of a recon unit. I was a medical guy on the recon unit. And, uh, and, uh, it just, you know, we, we made it through. He and I made it through. He got injured pretty seriously right at the end, uh, during the, uh, Desert Storm part of Desert Shield, Desert Storm, which was the combat part. And, uh, eventually he had to retire from the, uh, the Marine Corps. He was a, he was a, he was a staff sergeant and, uh, he came home and today he still has some, uh, you know, problems physically and mentally. But, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about, this is really what reason why I called is people on this day, it's special to reach out to veterans because uh, all veterans have seen and heard and done things in the military, in combat, that, you know, maybe they, they don't suffer the, the uh, delayed syndrome, the bowel fatigue, wherever they call it, you know, today, and, but it comes to, on to them after a while. Because, you know, you still think of those times. Things you see and things you hear on TV brings back memories. And I tell people to reach out to veterans. Don't make them alone on this weekend. Don't make them alone alone tomorrow reach out you know and you know it's like Jim Bohan said all I need is somebody to say thank you for your service that's all I need I mean that's that's it I mean uh that means a lot to a lot of these men and women don't forget the ladies now of course ladies serve very gallantly in all of our wars and, and most of them they never got any props I mean at least in the Iraq and Afghanistan war that we just got done with they they got recognition, and there were some very, very, very strong women that served our country. And I just want to reach out, you know, to all my veterans, my fellow veterans, all the, all the branches. I was in the Navy, and uh, you know, just uh, you know, I think of my time, and I'm very proud of my time, and I'll never forget it. And, and uh, these days, especially this one. It's this remembrance of the ones who didn't come home a lot, you know, and I always tell a friend, I have a neighbor, he's a veteran from, uh, uh, well, he was the Cold War veterans, basically. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he served our military in the Air Force, and he goes, I'm not like you. I didn't serve in all the hairy places like you did and, and got beat up and torn up and shot <laughs> like you. And I said, but no, you put a uniform on. You know what, and that's that's such an important point, Pat. Um, and I, I just want to start with saying I didn't know that your like entire family had served our country, and I, I'm, I'm grateful to them and thank them for their service uh, on Veterans Day and every day. And I'm sorry about the loss of your brother. I um, uh, until today, uh, earlier today, I found out I lost my brother last night, and he was a Marine as well, Robert Valdez, um, and God rest his soul. And uh, I, I realize it's it's not easy. It's not easy to lose a sibling. And uh, again, thank you to your 
to your family for your service. You're a, an amazing patriot and a, a great listener to our, this program, and I'm grateful for you. Thank you, Pat. Big shout out to everybody in Arizona tonight. And folks are coming back with the rest of your calls. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, we continue with your calls this Veterans Day evening. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Uh, let us go to Otis in Morgantown, Kentucky, WKCT. Otis, go right ahead. Uh, good evening, Rich. Uh, I'm very sorry thank about your brother. And, uh, thank you. I thank you for his service to our country and all the veterans. Great program tonight. Uh, my father was born in 1923, and when he was 21, he was drafted in uh, spring, uh, March of 46 or 44, and came out in uh, late March of 46. Uh, he went to the Philippines first, and uh, he's on. He's in that bunch at Corregidor that MacArthur is making the speech, and uh, he went on into Okinawa and on in the occupation of Japan. And he didn't talk a lot about it. I was born in 56. Okay. Uh, he had a, a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, my mother, and uh, my oldest sister. He That's how big a sacrifice then. You know, if you had a child, they'd take you. And uh, I'm the only son, and uh, I gave the flag uh, to my oldest sister because she sacrificed, too. Because when she was little, you know, she had to give up her dad, too, you know. And yeah. Dad never got into it or anything while he was over there. Uh, what really tore him up, though, and get him to crying is talking about burying men at sea. Oh, and a lot man. of them he knew. And, and he knew that they were going to be eat up by sharks. And uh, just thankful for what he done, all the, the servicemen. Because every moment I've had in my life has, has been because of them. Amen. Uh, I just missed the Vietnam War. <laughs> the draft ended about three months after I got my draft card and everything, thank God. And uh, But um, this country, we owe it all to them. You know what, Otis? Uh, a very, very accurate uh, assessment. I agree with you. Uh, you know, it's it's good that we reflect on Veterans Day, and I hope that we can keep that same energy, keep that same attitude throughout the year and realize that there's a lot of people that make uh, America work. And um, whatever criticism people may have, that's fine. But ultimately, we, we shouldn't lose track of being grateful and thankful for those people like your dad and others who have served. So thank you, Otis, for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to uh, Sarah. Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, great show. I just want to say that there has been a, a war on masculinity coming from the left, and they take a group and say, you're an oppressor, and tear them down and practice reverse discrimination. And I'm going to say this. We mm-hmm. need a shout-out to the traditional male values like machismo, courage, chivalry, heroism that are just natural qualities that men have. And instead of tearing boys down and telling them they're evil, 
we should celebrate the good attributes. And in today's feminized society, we have more violence against women. And there's a lot of liberal women that push for gun control and want to protect criminals. Shame on them. And then they tear men down. You know, Sarah, I think I agree with you. I think it's wrong. And I thank you for saying that. If it wasn't for those qualities you just mentioned, this greatest generation that we're talking a lot about tonight, the World War II generation, um, where would we be without those men that, that did what they did? And, and overall, you know, it, it's it, it's just it's a crazy time that we live in where, you know, we tell little boys that they should be more feminized. We tell little boys that they can be girls if they want to. And it, it's just, you know, I'd love to interview a World War II vet and, and hear what they have to say about the current state of affairs in our country uh, or even the current state of affairs in our military that's been uh, really in, infected by wokeness. And it's it's a real shame. But I feel like there's going to be a uh, a revival of, of men, of manlyhood, of masculinity, and of, of people that just wake up and say, you know what, I got to do what I got to do. And um, I'm not following the status quo anymore. And I think that's important. So thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. And uh, we continue with your calls and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round. We're going to go to, let's see, where do we go here? Let's go to Paul, Reading, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Paul, go right ahead quickly. I'm so sorry. Uh, President Truman, is what we often overlook, he served in World War I as an Army um, captain. He was of an artillery unit in, in the front, and he was decorated. And then he was picked by Roosevelt years later, um, accidentally almost, to be vice president. And then, of course, when Roosevelt died, um, Truman said, I felt like the stars and the, and the moon fell on me because it was a shock. And when he became president, he found out for the first time that we had atomic bombs. He had to make the decision, should we drop one or two? And he said, all right, buck stops here. We'll lose thousands and thousands of lives if we invade because they're not going to give up. So um, I dropped Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Nagasaki, sure. And sure, it did kill maybe um, 20, I mean, maybe 200,000. However, invading um, Japan would have cost us perhaps a million soldiers. So he made the right decision. I think you're right. Uh, it was definitely the right decision, in my opinion. And I can't imagine it going any other way. And you're right. Uh, we needed that kind of leadership at that time. And we were where we are today as a result of it, at least in my opinion. I can't really play too much revisionist history there. That is how it went down. And I think it was the right call, despite it being a, a very difficult call to make. Paul, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. 
Uh, let's go to Steve in Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Steve, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Quickly. Real fast. Easy listening in the evening, but not so easy tonight. Uh, uh-huh. My dad was a uh, sergeant in uh, Okinawa, World War II, and radar. He says we can see who was coming in. We just give the stuff to the commanders. They made uh, hay out of it. Uh, if they would let our, our uh, vets fight the wars, uh, they would have known what's going on, keep the chicken nugget politicians out. Um, what's his name, uh, the mayor of New York? Uh, Eric hey, I Adams. Got problems with, uh, I got problems with the immigrants and blah, blah, blah. You're not listening to us, playing our games. We're going to do what you did to Mike Lindell. Give us your phone. You've been doing what? They're after him because he's not listening to him playing games with him. He went down to the border. And the last yeah. thing I want to say is, is I didn't know you lost your brother last night. It takes one hell of a man to do what you're doing right now. Um, oh, thank you. You need to take some time. You don't have any time now. You need to take some time. And uh, we need to get to know who your brother is. But, I mean, uh, it, it, I hope people are listening to you. You're right there doing it, and you're not talking about you or your brother. Everybody else does because they're taking time off. But um, you're the Rush Limbaugh at night. And, I mean, oh, believe me. Thank you, brother. Well, the show must go on. And, and that's just the name of the game. And I, I said it not for me, but really for him to honor his memory, especially since he was a veteran. He was a Marine veteran. And uh, it's Veterans Day. And it was just uh, interesting the way that happened. And uh, I'm still honestly putting it all together. But thank you, Steve, for your kind words. I appreciate it. It means a lot. And uh, Paul from Zanesville was on the line. I think he had to go. But uh, he uh, the comment in my call screen said that his grandmother was Rosie the Riveter, and I thought that was amazing, and I wanted to get to him, uh, even though we were tight on time. Paul, thanks for the call, and uh, obviously thank you to your grandma if she really was Rosie the Riveter, and if she did the same type of work as Rosie the Riveter, uh, amen to that as well. And uh, we're at the close of our Veterans Day program tonight, and uh, it's, you know, it's it's bittersweet, right? Uh, we, we look back at these heroes we look back at these women and men that have served. Um, some gave their lives. Some are still around. And none of that should be lost on us. None of it. And we, while we lose people in our families, like I lost my brother, we, we also have to look at the positive and celebrate their lives. And not only my brother's life, Robert Valdez, United States Marine Corps, but everybody else that's out there and served. We celebrate you. God bless you, America. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.